Hi, everyone, and welcome to Food Family Tradition. I'm your host, Lauren Taylor, and I'm going to be with you while we explore our culinary roots, which is why I created this podcast. I just love genealogy. I love learning about other people's background and cultures. I've done DNA tests to find out where I am from. In fact, because I was so curious about knowing what went further than my great-great-grandparents who I was able to trace. And I'm so happy and excited to share with you today a recipe that comes from my mom's side. And we'll get into that um, as I talk to you a little bit about my background today on this first episode so that you can get better acquainted with your host. And going forward, we'll be talking about recipes and I'll be speaking with others about their traditions, their backgrounds, and hopefully we'll be learning some new recipes to share that you can make your own. So as I said, today's episode, we're going to be talking about my background so you can get to know me. I'll let you know that I have done a little bit of genealogy tracing. Like I said, I've done a DNA test to find out a little bit further back where I go. And um, we had some good surprises there, some fun surprises. And I'll just let you know, on my dad's side, I am actually Eastern European. I am from Russia, Poland, Prussia from the 1800s, yes, Germany, and England. And on my mom's side, I am from Beirut, Lebanon, and Aleppo, Syria. And so it was a fun mix of all these different kinds of foods that we were having growing up and being exposed to. And so this is my story. My father, like I said, is from Eastern Europe. He had a lot of the Eastern European influences like kugel and some of the gefilte fish even, and he was also very American. We have family that has been here in the United States since the Revolutionary War. And so my father's side is very American, meat and potatoes at just about every meal, and that was mostly what we had. My grandmother, she actually lived through the depression in San Francisco and so whenever we'd go to her house as kids there would be a lot of canned foods and she had known how to make the food go further because of her experience as a child growing up uh, through the depression and so that was my dad's side depression era very American meat and potatoes my mom's side Uh, She is actually from, her family's from Beirut, Lebanon, and from Aleppo, Syria, and those influences were very heavily relied upon with spices, with fresh herbs, and with a lot of meat. (laughs) Um, And so when we were kids, we'd go to my grandparents' house, and there would just be spreads of food, small little what they call maze platters, or like little bites, appetizers for us to have after school. So while some of my friends and maybe on television, they would be getting other snacks and like cookies and milk when they came home from school, I would go to my grandparents' house and I would have something called lahamajin, which are these little meat pizzas with tamarind and, uh, tamarind and tomato paste. And they would be crunchy on the outside, soft on the inside. It was absolutely delicious. Um, They actually used to be these big meat pizzas and when the Syrian community moved to Brooklyn they shrunk them down to size uh, so they could be for an individual who was just snacking. Um, We also used to have something called kibbeh nibelsia which is like a um, meat that was wrapped in bulgur and fried and that was also amazing. It would be filled with um, red pepper flakes or they would fill them with pine nuts, pomegranates depending on the time of year. And it was amazing. My grandfather uh, 
did a lot of cooking and he used to actually pickle his own grape leaves and then he would make something called yeblat, which is stuffed grape leaves and it would be stuffed either with meat or with rice and some vegetables um, so that you know you would get all the freshness and it would be lemony and mint and it was just absolutely delicious so when you'd walk into their house the aromas of the Middle East would just hit you. And so much so that today, even if my, I go to visit my parents and my mom is making Syrian food, I am instantly transported back to my grandparents' kitchen as a child when I get those smells. And there are just these amazing memories that I have of watching my grandparents cook for us and now my mom and hopefully that I can keep doing this for my kids making Syrian food is a lot of work and it's time consuming but when people eat it it just it the food the meat it melts in your mouth the rice and the sauces that they have are just incredible and it really takes you to a different place and um, I actually have tried to even make some of these things for my husband who appreciates it because he's Iraqi and he loves to eat all of these authentic foods from the Middle East. And so much so that he has requested it. And typically I only make it when a lot of family comes to visit <laughs> just because it's so much hard work. Um, but with this food, you know, come these memories. I do remember as a child um, or as a young adult, I should say, when my grandfather passed away and we went to a uh, a kosher butcher and he had been making something that my grandfather used to make and I remember my mom biting into that I'll never forget this and then just having the these this rush of emotions of you know what she used to get when she was growing up from her father and I never really understood it until I was older and I was with my husband and we were at a market and we picked up something you know similar which is kube in uh, <laughs> for the Iraqis but kibbe for us Syrians and Lebanese just different dialect and I took a bite out of it and I actually started crying because I was taken back to my grandparents house as a child just growing up and reliving all of these memories with food around us and it just it like I have said it takes you to another place and the food was just rich and delicious and the smells, everything was on point. Uh, I guess it was a perfect storm for me to have that intense emotion over food, which I never really thought that I would have, but I had it because of that. Um, and with all those emotions, I'm hoping that I can give that to my friends and my family so that they'll know the culture and some of the foods that we've eaten, uh, that I ate growing up, that we've continued to eat. And because of that, I want to share with you today a recipe that's also close to me that my mom makes often, that I have made many times. And I know that a lot of people appreciate it because it has um, both a sweet and tart kind of flavor to it. It's something called kusameshi. It is stuffed zucchini. Um, you can make this with meat. You can make it vegetarian style. You can choose your meat. You can make it with ground lamb, ground beef, ground turkey, whatever your heart desires, what you want. You can also fill it with rice and vegetables. Um, but today I'm going to give you the traditional recipe which um, has been passed down uh, from generation to generation that we've been making for a long time. And 
I'm going to first give you the ground beef recipe because you have to make this in two parts. One part is the zucchini where you have to core it, take out that center, uh, and then you have to fill it with the meat. So the meat is going to be set aside first. So it's called hashu. It's the filling that you make to stuff that zucchini. It's going to be one pound of ground beef, ground meat, any type of meat. I use beef personally. You're going to take a third cup of rice and get that rinsed and washed. You're going to use a teaspoon of allspice, a half a teaspoon cinnamon, some salt to taste, one to two teaspoons of vegetable oil, and a third cup of water. You're just going to go and mix all of those ingredients together, and you're going to set it to the side. The next thing that you'll do is you'll take your couset or your, your zucchini. You're going to need about eight of them that uh, medium sized, you're going to cut them in half and you can core them. So you're going to take out that that uh, center part of the squash. Now you can either make a salad out of this, you can make a frittata with it, you can add it to other dishes. I typically make a frittata with mine or I'll make a tomato based um, salad that has been cooked down for our family. That's what we do. So you're going to take those cored zucchini, you're going to take the one pound of hashu, you're going to take that meat, you're going to start to stuff it loosely into your zucchini. From there, you're going to take two tablespoons of vegetable oil and you're going to put it into a large pan, so, uh, excuse me, into um, a saucepan and you're going to turn the heat up to medium and you're going to put your squash inside, just layering it. And then on top of each layer, uh, once it's flat, you'll put your uh, apricots. So you're going to need about 20 apricots that are dried. And you're going to layer some of those on top. You don't have to use 20. It's really according to flavor. I probably only use about 10 to 15, if that, uh, just because... I find that I don't make that as much, so that's why I use less apricots, and also my family doesn't eat as many apricots, so I don't want to you know, waste them, I guess you could say, so I could use them again for some other dish or just to munch on. Um, so you're going to uh, then take those apricots, you're going to layer them, and you'll cook the squash for around five to eight minutes. You really just want to cook them until the juice starts to get released from the zucchini so that they kind of start melting a little bit from that heat. Then you're going to add the remaining apricots just on top again and a little bit of salt, about a teaspoon of kosher salt on top just to add a little bit of that flavoring. Now on the side, once that's cooking for the for the five to eight minutes while you're trying to release the juice, you're going to make a sauce that's going to go over it. And that sauce consists of three tablespoons of juiced lemons, so you can use fresh, uh, three tablespoons of tamarind, which is a Middle Eastern or Indian um, kind of paste from a seed. And then you're going to use one tablespoon of sugar and you're going to mix that all together so it turns into a bit of a paste. You're going to, um, and it's going to be a little bit more runny, more of a runny paste because of those lemons. So once it's been the time that the zucchini has had time to sweat out those juices you're going to take that mix of the lemon the tamarind and the sugar and you're just going to pour it over your apricots and zucchini then you're going to put one cup of water over that and you're going to get a heat proof plate that you're going to put on top of it to weigh it down 
You're going to bring all of that liquid to a boil over the medium-high heat and then reduce it to low to simmer gently for one hour. And you're going to want to make sure, going to want to make sure that it's covered so that all of the, um, the flavors stay in and that liquid stays in as well. Then when that's just about done, you're going to preheat your oven to 350 degrees and take that saucepan and put it into an oven for an additional hour. Uh, at 350 degrees. This is just going to thicken the sauce and continue to cook the meat and the zucchini. Now, I usually make this at night, and what I end up doing is once it's in the oven, I leave it in the oven for that hour, I turn off the oven, and I let it cool off in the oven overnight. Syrian food and Middle Eastern food in general, I find, taste really great right after they're made, but they taste even better the day after or the day after that. That's when all of those spices and fresh herbs that you're using within the dishes really come through and are able to breathe and just melt in your mouth and you can really get all of those flavors coming through if um, you're waiting more than a day. So you can definitely make this in advance. You can even make it like a week in advance and then freeze it take it out the day of, just put it back in the oven to warm up and you'll still get those same flavors. So I would highly recommend doing this if you like. Um, It just tastes absolutely amazing. Everyone is always really excited to eat it because it melts in your mouth. It's got that savory but sweet and tangy kind of flavors from the tamarind and from the apricots. I cannot recommend this one enough. It's delicious. (laughs) So If you're looking for this recipe, you can find it on my website at foodfamilytradition.com or you can go onto my Instagram account, also foodfamilytradition. You'll see a picture of it and you'll see the recipe there that you can go ahead and make your own. Now, traditional foods don't have to always be something that have been passed down from generation to generation. You can choose a meal or a a baked good, something that really speaks to you and you can make it your own. And I have plenty of recipes where I've done this. I started making several other recipes many years ago and they've become tradition now in my house that I have to make it every year on a specific holiday or for a specific holiday. Uh, Just something that my family really appreciates and even something that's important to me now that I've started it. So Again, you can find this recipe at foodfamilytradition.com or on my Instagram account at foodfamilytradition, and you'll see a picture of it there as well as on the website. I hope that you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, learning a bit about your host, my background, where I come from, and why I wanted to start this so that we can learn about each other's family backgrounds, traditions, recipes, and who we are and what we share as a people. So I hope you'll join me again for the next episode and I'll look forward to seeing you then. Bye-bye.